got it. <laughs> Love it. Cool. Right. Okay. So I'll go in just a second. Yeah. Hello, everybody. We are back. Welcome back to another episode of the Babel F1 podcast. Whether you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or whatever, or watching us on YouTube, it's great to have you back. Um, we've not been around for quite a few weeks. Um, we've had a triple header, which we're going to talk about. We've got loads to talk about, um, loads of news, loads of triple headers. And also it's the British Grand Prix this weekend, which all three of us are very, very excited for. Um, last three weeks, we've pretty much found it impossible to all sit down and, and find a time to record or been working or had other commitments or whatever. Um, so we thought we'll wait till after the triple header and uh, go through the three races that we've had. We've had the French GP, uh, the Styrian Grand Prix and then the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, we've got a bit of news to talk about uh, around Australia being cancelled, Lewis Hamilton's new contract. And then we'll look ahead to Silverstone uh, this weekend where we've got this new format of sprint qualifying. Um, I'm going to be there as well. And then we'll make our usual predictions for that. But let's go all the way back to what was it? Maybe start of June, end of May, something like that, whenever the French Grand Prix was. Um, I have to admit, I fell asleep during the French Grand Prix um, and I woke up again. Um, I think it was the, the Bottas-Perez battle that was going on. I think that, that was what woke me up, Crofty shouting about that. Um, but Joshua, I'm assuming you stayed awake for all of it. First of all, uh, welcome back after a long three weeks away. Um, yeah. It was nice to have a, a fairly entertaining French Grand Prix, although I probably didn't think so. Yeah, I think we all said in our previews that we weren't expecting much, but it ended up being relatively interesting i think it's fair to say um and again it's good to see a good battle and i and any at any track in any race it was good to see a good battle when we we did sort of at the start of that um start of the race we saw the Verstappen and hamilton one went off and then Verstappen pulled it back and it was it was entertaining i think for the front end of that which is what we all want to see but everywhere there was something happening and it was it was a good change from usually a quite a dull race on the calendar Hmm. And Callum M, I remember you being particularly, you know, kind of negative about the French Grand Prix. And, and like Joshua said, there were battles everywhere for the two Haas cars. I remember we saw a little replay of them battling it out at the back. Lots of battles in the midfield, as there kind of always is now this season. And then at the front, we had a battle which was probably more on strategy um, than, you know, actually on track, you know, hard racing, um, unlike Styria and, and Austria, which we're going to come on to. But um, we obviously saw um, Mercedes and Red Bull going up against each other. Who's got the upper hand, do you think, after, after the French Grand Prix in terms of strategy-wise? Because we saw that Bottas wasn't very happy. He wanted the two-stopper that, that Verstappen obviously got and, and went and won the race with. What, what did you make of, of all of that kind of stuff? Oh, Red Bull have the edge now. I think we spoke about it after the Spanish Grand Prix when um, Mercedes out-tacticked uh, Red Bull again. And we were like, oh, until Red Bull learn from their mistakes, they're not going to improve. And I don't know if they listen to us. They probably don't, but uh, they've used our <laughs> word and uh, they're much better on strategy now. And they've, you know, the fact that they were able to get um, both Verstappen ahead of Hamilton and Perez ahead of Bottas as well. And I think Christian Horner said after the race, we can beat them at Paul Ricard. We can beat them anywhere. And yeah. uh, I think um, we'll, we'll get on to Styria and Austria in a bit, but uh, just seeing their performances there. It's Red Bulls to lose now. It's Verstappen's to lose now. So Joshua, um, Callum mentioned that when we've talked about for most of the season, you know, how much um, Red Bull will be able to utilise Perez and his experience um, and, and his skill much more than maybe Gasly and Albon in the past and to help Verstappen win this championship. Tough question here. Um, it might not be for you, but is Sergio Perez a better number two to Verstappen than Bottas is to Hamilton? 
Um, I think so. I think you've got to look at it based on form, probably, but you also got to look at the bigger picture. And for Stam- uh, Perez, sorry, came into that team knowing the Mercedes dominance and knowing that they pro- they they would challenge, but Mercedes would probably win it. So he wasn't competing for the championship in the same vein as Bottas would be, in respect that he's got the same car as Hamilton. Um, and I think I think Bottas thinks he can win the championship in that car, whereas Perez has never really been in that same position. So I think he's he knew what he was getting into. He was there to sort of split the Mercedes up if they could and get Verstappen as high as he could without without a real challenge or any problems from behind him. And it's working. I didn't think it would. I really didn't think it was a good fit. You'd, we've seen Red Bull go a lot with academy drivers and the junior programmes and mm, hadn't really worked. And sort of, they lost Ricardo those few years ago and then it's, they sort of never had that really second quality drive to challenge. And we sort of saw the whole drama with, Album replacing Gasly and then Album being dropped and they're ruthless, but it works. They somehow get results when they make a change. Uh, it's not how I would go about it, but that's why Christian Horner's team principal and I'm not. Um, it's fun to see whether it lasts and whether Perez now is thinking, we've got a championship winning car. I'm going to go for it a bit more. And is he allowed to do that? I don't know, but as a number two, he's much better than Bottas is. I think Bottas has given up for the last year and a half, I think. I think I'd probably have to agree with you there. And I think uh, Callum would probably agree with you as well as a, as a huge um, Sergio Perez fan that, that we know he is. You know, He's tipped him to win a couple of races this year. And let's not forget um, the one race that he did tip him not to win, he went and won. So Callum's just never going to predict Perez to win ever again. Um, also, Callum, the the um, penultimate lap overtake for Stappen, obviously on Hamilton, uh, Red Bull, like we said, winning that strategic battle uh, in France and seemed to have that edge over Mercedes, like you said. Um, but the one thing I noticed, uh, especially on that overtake, was the roar from the crowd. We could actually hear fans you know, cheering overtakes, which is something we've not seen for so long. Uh, we saw it in Austria as well. Uh, we're going to see it at Silverstone this weekend, but... It's just brilliant to have fans back, you know, at Formula One racetracks, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, I remember going to the Belgian Grand Prix a few years ago, and it really is a different uh, kind of atmosphere to just to watch F1 with a crowd as opposed to just like in your living room with your family and friends. Like you really do. It's it's, it's like going to a football game. You really do get the, the oohs, the ahs, the roars, the cheers. Uh, and of course, the orange army that follows Max wherever he goes is... I don't, I don't have ever seen anything quite like it. Uh, not for a long mm. time. I mean, you probably have to go back to like the 90s or uh, when you have people following like Manson and Schumacher maybe. But uh, yeah, incredible to see. And it's, it's great for all, all F1, really. Mm. Yeah, and, and you mentioned there the Orange Army. You know, you don't get that anywhere else. You know, Silverstone this weekend, it's not going to be, you know, this Hamilton Army. There's going to be Verstappen fans there. There's going to be Vettel fans there me included. Uh, there's going to be Norris fans, there's going to be Russell fans, you know, there's there's not just one British driver for the British crowd to cheer on as well, so you're going to get a mixture of fans at Silverstone this weekend as well and, and in future races, which is going to make things more enjoyable as well, being sat in the stands, you know, sat next to, you know, rivals fans and and, and whatever, so that's that's going to be all good. Um, I think that's pretty much everything for the, for the French Grand Prix. Uh, moving on to Styria, um, which was the first race that we ran in Austria, 
what, three weeks ago now, something like that, two weeks ago, I've lost track of time completely. Um, at the start, we had uh, Pierre Gasly falling very, very far back. And we found out that it was, from my point of view, a bit of careless driving from Charles Leclerc that, that caused that. I think it was a break in the suspension for Gasly. Um, and he also took a puncture as well, uh, which then saw him spin around Giovinazzi, who I think then hit Latifi um, and he got a puncture. Um, Joshua... Are you in agreement here? Is that completely Leclerc's fault or was, was Gasly, you know, at fault as well for, for that one? Yeah, as you said, it was a while ago as well. So from what I can remember, it looked, looked to be more Leclerc's fault than Gasly and Gasly was the victim. As we see a lot, it's not often, it's not always your fault, but you come out worse. Um, mm. And it was just the start of a pretty poor um, two weeks for him, really, wasn't it? And the team minutes. It was strange. It was sad to see. I thought, I thought coming into it, they both did have a better um, race or two weekends than they did, but wasn't to be. But yeah, more Leclerc than Gasly, I think, from what I can remember about it. Callum, mm. are you in agreement? It's completely Leclerc's fault, or, or maybe a little bit 50 50, or maybe 60 40 towards Leclerc? What, what were you thinking on that one? Yeah, probably 60 40 Leclerc. I mean, I, I would have said it's a racing incident. Um, I just found it amazing, like how much uh, backlash there was to uh, to Leclerc uh, on online. I don't know if you guys saw. Like, I know I know he won Driver of the Day because he came back to finish in the points from uh, a long way back. But um, yeah, just so many people online were trashing on Leclerc, which I'd not seen before. It's very mm. popular. So um, yeah, I didn't like that. But I would have said racing incident uh, from what I saw mm. of it. I mean, it's, it seems to be now that whenever something happens, an incident happens like this, um, where a driver is forced to retire, I mean, there's, there's a lot of Pierre Gasly fans out there. There's probably many more Charles Leclerc fans out there that people seem to turn on these drivers very quickly. I know we, we obviously have people turning on Mazepin for, for obvious reasons, as well as, you know, um, how he is on the racetrack. But it seems to be now that whenever there is some kind of incident that F1 Twitter just seems to explode and, and turn against whoever... Um, whoever caused it, which, which is a bit strange. Um, but on Twitter, there was a lot of sympathy for one man in particular, George Russell, Joshua, uh, who seemed to be having a fantastic weekend in Styria up until kind of, I think it was midway through the race. He was running at a point, I think he was running in like eighth or something like that. Um, had to take a much longer pit stop than normal, dropped out the points uh, and eventually had to drop out the race after, you know, three or four stops. They, they couldn't fix whatever the issue was on his car and, and how devastating was it to see that for, for George Russell? You just so desperately wanted to get him get those points. It was heartbreaking. You sort of you thought he'd do it. He'd done so well and qualified well. He sort of started where he got up as high as he possibly could in that car. And then something goes either something goes wrong with the car or they butcher the pit stop and he's there. And once he's there, sort of beyond those sort of five seconds or so, you know that. He's not unless there's like a safety car or red flags. I mean, he's not going to recover that time. And he went back again, again the next lap, and then again, and then you just your heart sank for him because he deserved something. Like it was like he deserved, even if it's a point, I don't care. He deserved something from it, and it it just wasn't to be. And it's it makes you think: Would it happen if he was in a better team? And I know mm. this Fred Williams, they're a historic team. They're a great team but they've not been at it for the last few years. And if he was at, a am not saying if he was at Mercedes, but if he was at like another one of those sort of mid-table challenges or where you want to be mid-table challenges, would it happen? Maybe not. 
So I, it was heartbreaking. It was obviously as a British driver fan, it was horrible to see. But as a racing fan as well, he he deserved so much more than what he ended up getting. Yeah, I think I think I completely agree. I think if it was anybody. Um, any nationality, any driver that was in exactly the same position, it, it would be difficult to see. But because, like you said, we're the three of us are British, to see a British driver suffering that is is even more difficult. Um, Callum, this makes me wonder: the longer this run without points goes on for for Russell and Williams, do you think Mercedes would start to have doubts about him? I know we've we've seen how fantastic he was in Bahrain last year. I think it probably is unlikely. But do you think there's anything in the back of the, the Mercedes? minds that may make them think twice about you know whether Russell is the right man to potentially replace Bottas I mean we're going to come on to it more in depth later but what, what do you think Mercedes is going to be thinking the longer this pointless run goes on I don't I, I think Mercedes know it's not Russell's fault like uh, that incident was completely out of his hands you know and he would have who knows what would have happened but likelihood is he would have gone on to score points so I think they, they know the Williams car isn't great and Russell is just doing his job to the best he can. So, I mean, I've a, I've a bit of a um, devil's advocate about maybe why Bottas should get the uh, drive next year, but I'll get onto that a little later. Good stuff. Looking forward to hearing that one definitely. And um, coming back to you, Callum, um, we obviously saw Max Verstappen uh, trundling towards the line, um, and he, he then kind of did a burnout um, as as he went past the uh, the Red Bull pit crew. Uh, who were hanging off the fences, you know, celebrating as, as they do at the end of every Grand Prix. And the FIA said that that kind of celebration, that kind of burnout will not be tolerated. Um, again, not really sure why. Um, what did you make of it? And, and why do you think the FIA, FIA weren't particularly pleased with it? Oh, they just don't like any joy and fun, do they? Uh, you know, it's the, <laughs> it's the, same, the same with donuts. you know, they, they have to find the drivers like it's something like 100 grand or something. I think they find them. Uh, if wow. they do a donut, which um, uh, hence why the only time you ever really see it is when it's uh, a driver's won the championship uh, or maybe they've won their home Grand Prix. I know Hamilton tends to do it at Silverstone. So you might have you might have that to look forward to, uh, Matt, this weekend. Who knows? Um, but no, I'd, I don't I don't mind it as long as he does it in a safe manner. If there was like a car directly behind him, then yes, I understand why they'd be annoyed about that i think i would be too but uh no he he, he was fine where he was to do it so um yeah just the fia not being uh just trying to be a bit of a killjoy so yeah that's fair enough i mean he was obviously so close to the wall and so far off where all the other cars were crossing the line i mean i know cars peel off but he properly peeled off you know as, as race winners usually do to get right up next to the wall um so hopefully uh hopefully we do see it again um and hopefully the FIA aren't, you know, I don't really want to swear, but <laughs> really annoying about it. Let's, let's just say, um, let's move on then to a week later in Austria. Um, this, this was the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, and you mentioned Lewis Hamilton spinning donuts um, at Silverstone, uh, Callum. Um, I don't think he was spinning donuts in Austria and I don't think he, he's going to be spinning donuts anytime soon, Joshua. Um, as, as a Hamilton fan, he really seems to be struggling at the moment. What Can you put it down to anything, Joshua? Um. Part of me wants to say that the tracks they've gone to in the recent week where Verstappen's won, what, four in a row, or sort of whatever he's done, uh, or Hamilton's not won the last four races, is down to suit in Red Bull. I don't know. I don't know whether that's just my heart thinking over my head. Um, he, I don't want to say he's given up, because I don't think he's given up. 
but may, maybe the pressure of going on and beating the records starting to get to him a bit. And he, mm. whether he think he's thinking that, like, and he's aware of that and how that's affecting him. It's, it's all well and good saying it's four races to win, but he's only, what, 30 points behind or something? And we know yeah. that Verstappen has been in, not in this position before, but has been in this position before where he's challenging on and reliability, whether that's Red Bull or Honda, or he makes a mistake, has let him down. And I don't know whether him still being as young as he is, that's, he makes a mistake or Honda starts to go back to its traditional reliability issues, that car, that engine lets him down just as he needs it. And I don't know, win at Silverstone, if he gets, if he, if he can do well at the sprint qualifying as well and Hamilton goes on and wins the race and he gets however many points he can get, 28, 29, I think he can 20, get 29 is probably the maximum, yeah. get tonight, uh, this weekend, sorry, and I don't know, it closes the gap and it's it's all lifts and butts. There's so many different margins. Um, it's probably a not a crisis of confidence, but there's something there, I think, of him, Hamilton, just playing on his mind of, of going on mm. and setting his own record now. Callum, I want to ask you if, it, if it's one of two things. The, the first one is, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that maybe we, Lewis Hamilton's always talked about how strong he is mentally and he's talked about how important it is to be mentally prepared. And I kind of said a few weeks ago, do you think that's maybe slipping a little bit? And you guys kind of were like, yeah, maybe, but I'm not too sure. So do, do you think it's affecting him mentally that this, this title challenge? Or do you think Mercedes are genuinely focused on next year? Um, I'm not sure maybe about giving up because I don't think, you know, a sportsman, you know, gives up someone like Lewis Hamilton as well as, as competitive as he is. Um, or do you think, so I'm putting three things in here, this mental side, um, this this mental uh, championship battle, you know, that, that kind of thing, is that getting to him? Is it the fact that Mercedes are focusing on, on 2022? Or could it be the fact that he's got so much going on off the track? He's got his, you know, his Hamilton commission thing that's going on as well and, and amongst other things. What what's going wrong with Lewis Hamilton at the minute? Do you think, Callum? Um, I think it's possible that it just Red Bull and Max are just quicker at the moment. I don't know mm. if, if if he. I think he's slowed down. I think that Red Bull and Max have just got quicker this season. Uh, you know, Lewis has always done stuff off track, like especially over the last few years. You know, he's got like a clothing line or something now, hasn't he? So he's always had he's always yeah. had like projects off the track and he's always managed to remain focused. So I don't think it's that really. Yeah, it, he's been in title challenges before. Yes, it's been a while since he's been in one this bad. I think probably when Rosberg was beating him, this is sounds a good five years ago. But he has that mental strength in him. So I honestly think he's sort of stayed still and just uh, Verstappen and Red Bull have just made great progress uh, for this season. So it remains to be seen whether Mercedes can get uh, their car uh, back in front, but um, uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. Hmm. 
I think winning at Silverstone this weekend, we're going to come on to it, would give him a, a, a huge confidence boost as well, you know, in front of the home crowd. He's going to have all the British fans there cheering him on, no doubt about that. Um, we're going to come back on to Hamilton in just a moment. Um, but we did have uh, a few scraps in Austria uh, and a few penalties were handed out by the stewards. They had a very busy day, um, not only in the Formula One, but in the in the F3 races I watched as well. They, they seem to be quite busy as well. Um, we had the Norris and Perez incident and we also had a Leclerc and Perez incident. Let's talk about Norris and Perez first. I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, Joshua, but I'm pretty sure this was off the safety car restart uh, down at turn four um, where Perez tried to go around the outside um, and Norris squeezed him onto the gravel, so to speak. Norris got the five-second penalty. You're kind of smiling as if to say mm, that was a little bit harsh. What were your thoughts on that Nor- Norris-Perez incident? I thought it was incredibly harsh. I watched it, watching it live, you thought it was a great move. Um, mm. And I, I don't know whether half a wheel went off track and sort of didn't give him enough space or whatever it was, but you look at all the angles of the replay, he, he didn't squash him. And I think a lot of people I saw on Twitter were very annoyed. I don't know whether that's Lando fans of Lando Norris, the sort of Twitch streamer character, uh, or whether that was F1 fans um, or a bit of both, probably a bit of both. It was incredibly harsh. It was incredibly harsh. But it was given and it didn't really affect him in the end, did it? He made up the time. He got the jump on Hamilton. He got another podium. So it was... It was all good for Lando in the end. He's got those extra penalty points. He needs to be careful now. Just overly careful now between now and December. I know it's a long time. He'll probably end up missing a race. But it was harsh. It was I, mm. On that move, though, that time penalty was very harsh. So, Callum, my question to you is, is should Perez have backed out of that to, to avoid you know the collision happening in the first place? Because... In, in my view, they both went in wheel-to-wheel in turn one after the safety car restart, and Perez went well wide onto the tarmac because there was tarmac there for him to go on, whereas this time at turn four, there's gravel there. Why is he not backing out and thinking, crap, there's some gra- I'm going to go on the gravel. Why did he not back out? I, I don't really know. It, it, it is a strange one because uh, you would maybe he just thought he had more room than he did. Uh, mm. And in fairness, I think Norris gave him plenty of of space to back out. I don't think it should have been a penalty either. Uh, I think just Perez just got one wheel on the gravel and um, obviously just went off. I don't think he. Uh, it wasn't a it wasn't a penalty incident. I think Perez just made a mistake there. Honestly, um, hmm. probably thought he had more room than he did. So I think we're in agreement. Very very harsh on Norris. Um, Perez maybe judged it wrongly. I think by by what you two are kind of saying, Perez judged it slightly wrong. And so did the FIA, essentially, and they, and they were a little bit too harsh on that one. Um, the next one is involving Sergio Perez again. This time it was him and Charles Leclerc uh, between, it's either five and six or six and seven. Um, I can't remember, but it's the two, the only two left-handers on the track. Um, Leclerc tried a very optimistic move around the outside and Perez ended up, again, I'll use the word, squeezing him. Um, and, and obviously Leclerc dipped into the gravel and had to completely back out of the move. Um, Joshua... What were your thoughts on this one? Was was this Leclerc being a little bit stupid going for that move around the outside? Or was this, again, fair, hard racing and Leclerc just got a little bit unlucky and, and maybe misjudged it like Perez did with the with the Norris incident? What, what do you think, Joshua? I think it was good racing. Again, it, it was very it looked very similar to the Norris um, Norris one. 
so if you give Norris a penalty, you've got to give the penalty in this one. But drivers are now going to be so scared of getting penalties that they're not going to make the moves. And then the fans are going to be disappointed by not seeing cars challenge each other. So I think the harshest of the FI will eventually come back and bite them because you'll just lose viewers and you'll lose fans because it's just going to become a procession every race then. Um, mm. Yeah, more so a penalty. But again, it's it was hard to see it being given for good racing. But again, you can understand why they're being consistent. And I think they made a mistake on the first one, so they had to come back and save themselves by giving the other penalties for the very similar incidents. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good point. And I think that one, yeah, probably the same, but they probably got it wrong. Callum, what are your thoughts on on um, on that incident? That the Leclerc Perez was, again, who was at fault? Or I suppose it's difficult because nine times out of 10, someone's going to be at fault, whether it's, you know, 51, 49 to, to one driver, someone is going to be at fault in some way, shape or form. But surely it's got to be at least kind of 80, 20 a driver's fault for, for a penalty to be justifiable. And, and maybe that one should have been ignored by the stewards as well. But obviously Joshua's point there, the stewards have got to be consistent. But if the Norris penalty isn't given, is that penalty given to Perez Callum, do you think? I think you you two have kind of nailed it here. You know, I, they were both just hard racing incidents and the stewards made a mistake on the first one. And uh, as Josh said, they were like, oh, we actually have to give this as a penalty as well now. That's we're going to look like hypocrites. So I get they're going for consistency and that's that's the best they could do in that situation. But they made the mistake in the first place. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. Unless it's like a, a an 80-20 style incident yeah it's probably just a racing incident or just good hard racing which is what the fans want to see mm. i mean I've, I've seen um people not not everybody is a fan of him so uh, i remember jeremy clarkson on, on his youtube channel did a, a video about how to improve f1 and he was very dramatic he was saying give the drivers points for you know hitting each other and whatever but he also made the point of making the cars um so that bits don't fall off every time that, you know, the cars go and hit each other or whatever, um, so that we can see this hard racing because it's what the fans want. Obviously, we don't want to see drivers being given points for, for dangerous driving. You know, that's what he was suggesting. But we do want to see great racing. So, Joshua, is is there a way of solving this is- issue? Do, this, do the FIA need to have a rethink maybe of, of how they're giving penalties or, or what they're giving penalties for? Yeah, I th- you've got to think how... Yeah, sort of what racing is, what a racing incident is, and what dangerous driving is, and I think try and balance it out because I think if you look at it, Paris with a Norris one, Paris suffered a lot more than five seconds. So if, if like you determined that Norris caused him to drop back, however, ten places or whatever it was, and lose twelve seconds, that's the penalty that's imposed because then that equals, equals it out. But then. Sort of, it's, it should be, oh, if the hot, both guys are completely off the track, is it sort of you turn into him? There needs to be some sort of leniency because Norris didn't go off the track. That was like sort of half a wheel or whatever it was. Mm. There needs to be some sort of rethink, I think you're right, about how what equates dangerous driving and your manoeuvres. So half mm. a car, three wheels, whatever it is. But yeah, definitely needs to be a rethink. And the thing I find the most kind of baffling about this is that 
I'm not sure if all of them, but I know that there are at least some former racing drivers on the stewarding panel that, that make these decisions who would surely be able to understand themselves what a racing incident is. I mean, I don't know who they are. I just remember that Johnny Herbert used to be one because, um, you know, he mentioned it a few times when broadcasting with Sky. Um, so if, if there are actual former racing drivers on these panels, how are they not, you know, identifying these as racing incidents or are they not having enough power um, you know, you know, other FIA stewards are having more power than them. I'm, I'm not too sure how that one works. Uh, we've got a lot to get through, so I'm going to press on. Um, the Russell versus Alonso battle as well. Really good to see uh, the respect that Alonso, you know, an old experienced head was giving to such a young driver. Again, heartbreaking to see what happened to Russell. Um, I don't think we need to touch on that kind of any more than that. Just great to see a good battle between, you know, two very good drivers. One extremely experienced has been there, done everything before. One who's kind of finding his feet or has found his feet beginning to, you know, his career in Formula One, which I'm sure will be a successful one to George Russell. And like I said, great to see the respect uh, between the two drivers there. So there's the triple header covered. Um, we've still got so much more to talk about. Uh, first of all, we're going to talk about the fact that the Australian Grand Prix in December has been cancelled. Um, we obviously didn't see it last year. Um, we're not going to be seeing it this year. I don't know why I said December, because I don't think it was scheduled for then. Um, but yeah, Australian Grand Prix is off. Um, Callum, uh, you may remember, if you, if you listened to our very first episode, we made loads of predictions at the start of the season. One of Callum's predictions uh, was that I think he said six Grand Prix were going to be cancelled this season. Um, that's now four that have been cancelled, Callum. Um, how many more do you think are going to are going to go from the calendar? And, and how disappointed are you to see Australia drop off? Oh, I should have put money on this. I really should have done. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more uh, come off, uh, come off the calendar. Uh, there's a couple that are currently like not officially cancelled, just postponed, but are definitely going to get cancelled. I think China's one of them uh, for sure. Um, I've got the list here of the ones that have been cancelled. We had, uh, since I made that uh, prediction, we had Canada cancelled, which was then replaced by Turkey. Then Turkey got cancelled and it was replaced by Styria. And then Singapore got cancelled and Turkey has replaced it again. And now Australia's been cancelled. So, um, yeah, not, uh, not great. Um, I'm not too upset to see Australia go. It's not an amazing track in the first place. Um, Great atmosphere, but just not uh, Melbourne, Park, Melbourne, Melbourne Park isn't a very, uh, a very good place to go racing. So, um, yeah, sad. Not too sad to see it go. Um, not a clue uh, who's going to, what's going to replace it on the calendar, I should say. That's uh, that's fair enough, I think. Um, Joshua, uh, we've had this discussion a couple of times before when, when we've had cancellations. Um, is there a track in particular that you would like to see come back on the calendar? I'm going to take Magello off you um, and not give you the easy one and make, make you think a little bit harder. But um, is there any track that you'd like to see replaced? I think it's probably unlikely that we're going to see any replacements now, um, given kind of the, the global situation. Um, but yeah, any track that, that you would stick on the calendar in, in place of Aust Australia, not Austria? Uh, if you're... <sighs> It's tough. I think if you're thinking where sort of the part of the world that we will be in at that racing point, sorry, the part of the world where we will be racing at, at that point, it's very hard to find a good track that's COVID like friendly, not friendly, but sort of uh, secure, secure and apt to deal with it. Um, I can't, this isn't my, this isn't my thought. I saw Malaysia being spoken about a lot. Um, mm. as a like a dream if if they would um, if they would be able to host it but I think there's too many political things going on but 
in a free world where we could pick a, a, a new track without any sort of regulations or barriers, um, let's go Malaysia. Why not? Hmm. Yeah, I've definitely seen that floating around a little bit on Twitter this week. And, and I think it'd be good to see Malaysia back on the calendar because we've not seen it for quite a few years now. Like you said, political things that are probably going on that, that we don't really understand or, or know anything about. Um, so yeah, a shame to see Australia cancelled. But as Callum said at the start of the season, this is the world we live in now. Um, I was kind of like, hmm, well, they're on the calendar now. Surely they're just all going to happen. They've got things in place. But Callum, you're absolutely spot on. So uh, well done with that one. You just need two more cancellations um, and then you are you can have a big tick next to your name um, come the start of the season. I don't think many of us are going to be, um, well, who knows? Uh, but I think not many of us are going to get many predictions right. Um, so it'd be good to, to get one up before the end of the season. Um, the second bit of news that we want to talk about is Lewis Hamilton has signed a new two-year deal at Mercedes and um, I'm sure Joshua you're delighted as a Hamilton fan to, to see him for another two years in Formula One um, but Callum what I want to ask you um, is is this going to be the beginning of the end for Lewis Hamilton do you think after these two years he'll have he'll obviously get this year um, and then you'll get two years in the, in the new cars which are coming next year and then you think after that he'll say thanks very much I'm done um, and I'm going to move on to, to the next stage of my life. I think it could be. Um, I was amazed to learn that uh, at the start of next season, Lewis Hamilton will be 37, uh, if you can wow. believe that. It uh, really does seem just like yesterday that he was breaking through as like a 21-year-old uh, into the sport. So, um, yeah, amazing. Now, um, I mean, he'll go on as long as he wants to at this point. He, he's got nothing to prove to anyone else anymore. He's broken pretty much every record there is to break. Uh, obviously, he'll want that eight-fold title. And uh, if Mercedes can get him that good car for next year, uh, or even this year, even he'll he'll do that. So I think it is it's the beginning of the end. Yeah, will he definitely go in two years' time? I don't know. You might might go on for a little bit longer. Even if Bryken and, and Alonso are still racing in their forties, why can't Hamilton do the same? So absolutely, Joshua. Like I said. As a Hamilton fan, you must be delighted to see that happen and, and know that he is now going to be here for another another couple of seasons. Um, yeah, I think it's it's exciting to see, and I think it's it was almost inevitable. I know there was loads of mm-hmm. delays with the the other this the most recent contract before this one, the one year extension. But I think that was that was just to secure him to the team, and then they buy themselves time to negotiate a better contract probably on more money probably with more promises about 2022 and onwards um if you listen to Hamilton if you listen to Tozo Wolf he's still he still was passionate about it and he still wants to race and wants to win and I think mm. once he gets beyond that point once he says once like you start to see that he's losing the love for it I think he'll go but I think it's not. We won't see him sort of disappear from F1 completely. He's obviously put together this uh, report that has caused a bit of controversy. That only six teams, I think, took part in it. I think he's, as we said, he's got his fashion brand. He's got a lot of initiatives. He's he's outspoken. He's sort of spoken recently about wanting to have a family. So. Again, maybe beginning of the end, but I think we'll have him for another four years. I think he'll do one more contract after this one, and mm. then he'll go. But like he'll stop bracing, but he'll still be 
he'll still be involved. But will he be involved I think, with a new teammate? I think, I think is is what's coming. That's it. You've uh, you've led me on perfectly there, Joshua. Um, I was going to say that he's he's certainly whenever he goes, he's not going to be bored uh, when he's off the race track. He's not going to be sat at home doing nothing. He's got plenty going on for him. He's got his Hamilton commission. He's got his uh, his, his brand of clothing, which we should probably stop plugging um, because there are many other brands of clothing available. Um, but yeah, he's got his all the all this going on off track. There's so much going on, and, and obviously he could come back to Formula One. I think. I think he's got his own um, extreme E team as well. So maybe one day he could have his own Formula One team or be a principal or, you know, whatever. So I don't think he's going to be bored whenever he goes. And I don't think he may lose the love for driving in Formula One, um, but I don't think he's going to lose the love for Formula One. He's obviously so passionate about making Formula One more diverse um, and all this kind of stuff as well. So I think he's definitely going to stick around, whether that's in a cockpit or, you know, by the side of a racetrack or, or in a garage or whatever. That's yet to be seen. But yeah, plenty more still to come from Lewis Hamilton either way. Um, yeah, like we said, let's move on. I was about to move on to Silverstone then, but we're not doing that. We're going to talk about who Hamilton's teammate is going to be next season. This opens a whole new can of worms. Obviously, Hamilton is tied down. Um, I'm assuming Bottas's contract is over at the end of this season, um, which is why all this debate is coming around. Is it going to be George Russell? Is it going to be Pierre Gasly? Or is it going to be Valtteri Bottas? They seem to be the main three contenders for Hamilton's uh, seat next season. Callum M, you mentioned earlier you've got a bit of a devil's advocate role to play in this discussion. So I'm going to chuck it over to you. Uh, what's going to happen at Mercedes next season? Okay, so here's what I think might happen. And this is not necessarily what I, what I want to happen, but this is what I think will happen. Um, George Russell is probably a better driver than Valtteri Bottas. Um, we all know that. I think we can all agree on that. But here's the thing. There's quite a lot of harmony at Mercedes at the moment with Bottas as the number two driver to Hamilton. Uh, and that, as a team principal, that's kind of a dynamic you want to work with. If you remember what happened with Rosberg and Hamilton, how toxic it was towards the end of their partnership, because obviously both of them wanted to be world champion. They weren't, on, like, they weren't talking to each other. And Toto Wolff found that very hard to manage. So he quite likes this dynamic now of Bottas as the number two. And the thing is, if George Russell comes in, he could basically pull a Rosberg or do a bit like what Ricardo did to Vettel when he first moved to Red Bull, just like he could end up being quicker than Hamilton and cause a rivalry between them. And if Red Bull are going to be as quick uh, next season as they are this season, that's not ideally what you want. So Devil's Advocate, you know, Bottas is a decent driver, and a very good number two driver, and that's easier to manage than perhaps a young gun like Russell coming in and uh, just changing the whole dynamic. So uh, that's what I think could happen. Um, and again, it's, it, it should be said, Bartas is not a bad driver. He's a decent driver. Yeah. He's not a great driver, but he does his job pretty well. So I don't know if... It, I, I would love to see Russell in that seat. I'd love to see Pierre Gasly in that seat, even. Um, but... I think Valtteri Bottas could well have it for next season and perhaps even the season after that. Mm. I think that's, that's a very interesting point you make. I think the Bottas-Hamilton relationship is certainly a very good one, one that's easy for Toto Wolff to manage, as, as, we, as we've already, as you've just mentioned. Um, but George Russell isn't going to shy away from that. He doesn't shy away from speaking what he thinks in, in, in Williams. I think Pierre Gasly is going to be the same. He can be quite fiery sometimes as well, Pierre Gasly, um, that we've kind of seen on the radio and stuff in the past. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see who takes that seat. Um, 
I'm probably in the Russell camp. I think Gasly, I think he's probably going to end up at Alpine, um, you know, a French team with a French driver going for bigger and better things. I think that kind of, that works in my head. Um, what about you, Joshua? What do you see happening at Mercedes in the future? I think for Mercedes, you've got to start planning for the future. Like you'll, There'll be a point where you'll lose both Hamilton and Bottas, whether it be at the same time or whether it be sort of you have one goes and a couple of years later, another goes. But I think to have someone like Russell, and we've seen the raw ability, like he's pushing a poor Williams car sort of to the limit and he's getting into Q3 and he's picking up pace. He was doing well at, in Austria. Um, to have him almost rot in that environment with, I know he's like 2022, they're sort of saying that Williams could challenge to be a mid-table team sort of with the right improvements, but there's no guarantee. And if you let someone like him sit and write Williams until his contract's up, you're either losing from the Mercedes programme or an ambitious team goes and snaps him up. I don't, there's no reason to say why Red Bull don't go and tempt him with an offer when his contract's up, let him replace Perez in a year or two. Um, and then you've got the dream team of two young drivers, both who will win multiple world championships. Um, smart thing to do would probably be get him in the senior team now, or I mean, for next season. See what the dynamic is, and then, and then sort of maybe not offer Lewis a new contract post 23, 24, whenever his contract's up, um, and then build the team around him, and then maybe bring in a sort of a younger driver. Um, I'd love to see him in that seat just to see what he can do consistently. He did so well when he replaced Hamilton last year. He sort of he had that rob from him. I'm so like I'm still not over the fact of what happened in that race. Um, <laughs> so I'd love to see him be given a consistent chance in a in a title challenging car. Hmm. I think maybe by what you're saying, it would be good to to give Russell that seat next year, give him a, a, a few trial years, let him learn from Hamilton after the, you know once his two year contract's up, let him learn for those two years. Say, okay, right, come to us. Be our number two for two years. You know, you're going to be our number two. You you know, everything that Hamilton does is going to be put ahead of you kind of thing. You're going to be number two for two years. You'll learn off Hamilton. Then Hamilton will go whenever his contract is over in two years' time. We're then going to build the team around you with all that knowledge and experience that you've gained from Hamilton. And that, and that to me, seems like a sensible thing for, for Mercedes to do. I think... We can all, all probably agree that George Russell and Pierre Gasly are going to be in the paddock next season. Um, but is Valtteri Bottas going to be in the paddock? And, and Callum, if Valtteri Bottas is not in the paddock, in the Mercedes um, area of the paddock, where is he going to be? Uh, probably nowhere, uh, sadly for him. Um, in the media pen. I mean, maybe if he wants to do that kind of thing. Um hmm. I, I, a lot of people uh, linking him with a move back to Williams, uh, which would be a good fit uh, for the team. Obviously, have some of his experience in there, but at the same time, Williams probably are looking for a bit of money uh, to come in, mm. so they'll want uh, someone with a lot of sponsorship money, a bit like the Tifi uh, or Stroll before him. Um, yeah, it'd be a shame to lose Bartas because he's a quality driver, but I can't see him fitting into another team at the moment. Uh, maybe as a reserve driver somewhere, but 
No, I can't. I can't think of a team who would take him. Mm. Well, maybe he could just simply do an album and uh, and then go go back as the Mercedes reserve driver. I think they've got Gutierrez who's there at the minute, um, but I'm sure he could easily fill that role. And and the Williams role seems quite up for grabs if, if Russell does quite does go. I mean, Roy Nassani seems to be constantly doing practice sessions um, for Williams, doing quite well in them. But then he goes into an F2 car and doesn't really set the world alight at all. Um, you know, I follow F2 and he's kind of always sort of eighth, ninth, tenth, middle of the pack. So it'd be interesting to see who does for that Williams see if, if Russell goes. Um, we've been going uh, for quite a while now, so I am going to have to move on. As much as I'd like to talk about that, we could kind of debate so much. We could debate who's going to take that Williams seat if Russell goes. Who takes the Alpha Tauri seat if Gasly goes is a whole other debate as well. Um, so we'll come, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it another time. Um, and probably when it's announced, we can go into it in much more detail as well. But thank you both for your thoughts there. Coming up, we have Silverstone. I'm sure whether or not you two are going to agree with me, I don't know. Um, but both of our favourite, all three of our favourite weekends of the year, certainly mine, um, always love going to Silverstone. It's, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour down the road for me. Um, so really, really looking forward to it. I'm going to be there this weekend. Um, I'm going to be sat in uh, Village, I think, uh, which is like the start of the loop. And um, so it should hopefully get a, a good view of the first, you know, breaking zone after the start. Um, my dad's going to be, I think, over in Woodcut, somewhere like that. Um, so he'll, he'll, he'll have a decent seat as well. Um, you two, um, unfortunately... Uh, are not going for whatever reason you're going to be sat at home watching it um as as with the other races but joshua silverstone it's always a special weekend isn't it yeah it sort of means a lot more you're sort of more connected to it i think as a as a british fan of of racing um and it's 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 a it's a special race i think there always seems to be something happening i remember last year there was three or four tyre blowouts and Hamilton had to, had to sort of only just made it home um, with three wheels. Mm. Um, yeah, of course it's, it means something. Of course it's special and we sort of, we hope to see the British drivers perform at the British track. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just enjoyable. It's sort of different feeling around race weekend when Silverstone rolls in and obviously with, with the first of these test events, for spring qualifying it it sort of seems that bit more special bit more historic and more history to add to add to silverstone mm-hmm. you take the words right out of my mouth yet again joshua it's going to be an extra special silverstone weekend um we've obviously got uh, last year we had two races at silverstone we had the british grand prix and the 70th anniversary grand prix we've got two races again at silverstone both on the same weekend, but in a completely different format. Um, Callum, I'm going to come to you in just a moment, but for those of you who don't know, the way the weekend's going to work is we're going to have uh, FP1 in the afternoon at about half past two, something like that. Um, and then in the evening, uh, six o'clock, we're going to have a normal qualifying session, Q1, Q2, Q3. Um, that is then going to set the grid for Saturday, uh, where on Saturday we're going to have an FP2 normal practice session um, in the morning. And then in the afternoon, we're going to have a sprint qualifying session. Uh, the grid will have been determined by the qualifying session on Friday night. Stay with me. Uh, it's it's more understandable when, when, when you'll see it um, on the TV. Uh, and then that sprint qualifying session, the result of that, you're then going to set the grid for Sunday's race, which will be a normal Grand Prix, full distance, 50 laps or whatever it is around Silverstone. Um, that's going to be happening. So sprint qualifying, uh, on Saturday afternoon or evening or whenever it's going to be. Um, Callum, are you looking forward to seeing how this is going to be or do you think this is going to be a little bit annoying whereby qualifying maybe on Friday, something will happen, 
But in sprint qualifying, the grid's just going to completely reset. The fast cars will go to the front. The slow cars will be at the back. And we'll just have a fairly boring grid for Sunday's race. So what, what are you thinking of sprint qualifying? And, and how much are you looking forward to it or not looking forward to it? Uh, I'm curious to see how it goes. Uh, I really, I, I have to, I'll, I'll reserve judgment until I've seen it in action uh, this weekend. But mm-hmm. it, it does seem a bit strange how you're going to have, you know, people like Russell, uh, the Ferraris who are really quick in qualifying and not so quick in the race. And that's always quite entertaining to watch on the Sunday to see how they cope with that. And we're going to kind of lose that now, aren't we? Uh, that being said, you know, two races a weekend, that's pretty cool. So we'll wait and see. Uh, I'll, I'll reserve judgment. I'm curious to see how it goes. Hmm. I think, Joshua, from a, for a fan's perspective, I think it's... I'm, I'm really looking forward to it be, being there because Saturday I'm going to have the, the W Series race. There'll be two Formula 2 races either side of the F1 uh, race and then obviously the F1 qualifying, sprint qualifying race, which I think is going to be 30 to 45 minutes, I think, something like that. Um, but... What are your kind of thoughts on sprint qualifying as, as someone that's going to be watching it from home? Are, are you looking forward to it or would you rather just keep this format as it is? I, I suppose that's probably a question I should ask you in a week's time. Yeah, again, I, it's, you've, I think we have to see how well it works. Um, of course, there's the worry that you'll just have the usual, usual suspects at the front and sort of normal um, procedure at the back. But I think the 17 laps around Silverstone with no pit stops, everyone going full throttle. It could be quite interesting. We could see, we could see just sort of people just don't care because it's like, unless you finish top three, you don't get points. So it's no points. There's no risk, is it really? Like, unless you tow your car and you don't make it to the grid. But it's why, why couldn't we see someone um, like, I don't know, Alonso or Russell or, Sonoda going going just flat out and they're good drivers, make some make some overtakes and get higher up and get a good grid start. It'll be interesting to see how it works for Russell. If he's missed a Saturday, we know how good he is in qualifying. And does he does he push it to Q3 to top of Q2 and and have a good sort of starting position for for sprint qualifying? And I don't know, you never know, sort of maybe finish. Finishing around at that top ten for race start, it'd be great to see. Um, but yeah, let's reserve judgment until after after we've seen it and how it works. And we've got to get used to it. We're going to have another couple of them. Um, and I think they've got to find a way to spice it up. Whether this is it, you know, but there'll be something new in a couple of years' time. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm certainly really looking forward to it. And I think maybe over the next two or three seasons, we should test these things. Maybe next season have a couple of reverse grid events or or whatever it is that we need to do to, to spice things up a little bit. But I'm not saying the old format is bad. I think you guys will agree that the normal format isn't bad. Um, it's just a nice way to, to modernise it, spice it up. Or even if we just carry on with the way we're going, um, have these different test events throughout the year and just maybe change what they are every year. Keep you normal FP1, 2, 3, qualifying then race. Uh, you know, 15 of the 20 race weekends in a season and then for five, have a sprint qualifying or have, you know, whatever other things that Formula One can come up with. 
yeah, certainly looking forward to seeing it in action. And then obviously next week or, or whenever the next Grand Prix is um, in our podcast, we can then talk about how it felt from, you know, I think Callum Owen, who's not with us today, is going to be at Silverstone as well. And um, we can talk about how it was from a fan's perspective at the, at the I was going to say stadium, but it's not at the circuit. And you guys can talk about how you kind of found it from home. Um, so that leads us on to our predictions then. Um, I am going to throw you under the bus a little bit here, you two, because I'm not sure if you've prepared this, but obviously two races to predict this weekend uh starting with sprint qualifying um who calamon are going to be your top three for sunday's race finishing um you know your top three for on on saturday and they'll be the top three on sunday so who's going to take pole who's going to be second and who's going to be third for sunday's race in your opinion uh sorry for sunday or saturday sorry for saturday for, for, for spring saturday. qualifying we'll go with first oh yeah. um well, I don't know if he'll he'll be on pole for it, but I would say the Stappen will win the sprint uh, race, mm-hmm. uh, and then I will go with uh, I'll go with Perez second and Lewis Hamilton third. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I think um, obviously it also depends on what happens in qualifying on Friday, um, but I'm going to go with a, a fairly. I'm going to go for an exciting sprint race and, and a boring race um, is, is, is what I'm going to say. Um, I'm going to go with um, our usual Hambot uh, for the sprint race. So I'm going to have Hamilton on pole, uh, Bottas in second and Verstappen in third. I think Mercedes and Hamilton are really going to up their game, especially in Britain. Um, so I'm going to go for it on Saturday, Verstappen, uh, Hamilton to win it, Bottas second, Verstappen third. Um, Joshua, what are you thinking for Saturday's sprint qualifying result? Yeah, I've got Verstappen to win it. I just think they've showed the pace in 17 laps around it without any pit stops, you'd assume. Uh, It should be Verstappen. Uh, I've got Hamilton second and Perez third. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. Let's uh, let's move on to the race then for Sunday, the main Grand Prix, which will be a normal Grand Prix, 53 laps or 52 laps. I think it normally is around Silverstone, somewhere around the 50 mark anyway. Um, we'll start with, we'll go back to you again, Joshua. Uh, let's have your top three uh, drivers for the race. And then if you've got a little bit of a wild slash differential prediction that's, that's going to happen, that could be in the race or throughout the weekend. Yeah, so I've, I've sort of got two wild cards that are going to make sense with what I say next. So I've got two Brits on a podium and the sprint quality winner will be different to the race winner. So therefore I've got Hamilton to win it, Verstappen second and Lando Norris third. I like it. Sounds good. Pretty similar to mine or, well, mine's a little bit different. I've gone for Hamilton to to win the Grand Prix. I think, as you've just said, I've got Perez in second and I've got Lando Norris third. You'll notice no Max Verstappen. That's because my wild prediction is going to be that we're going to have an incident. I'm going to be sat, I'm going to see the incident in front of my eyes. Uh, Max Verstappen is going to crash out on lap one. Um, And my other prediction is that George Russell it seems perfect for George Russell to score some points in front of the British crowd. And I think that'd be fantastic if that happened. Um, so yeah, I'm going Hamilton, Perez, Norris with Verstappen out uh, in lap one. Callum M, let's go over to you for your predictions for Sunday's race. Your, your top three and your wild card, please. Uh, my top three is not really different to the sprint uh, qualifying. I've, I've gone Lewis Hamilton to win, uh, Max Verstappen second and Sergio Perez third. 
Uh, my wild prediction is actually pretty much the same as you, Matt. Uh, I've said all three British drivers will finish in the points. Uh, is I believe this is the weekend George Russell will get at least one point. Uh, and Landon Norris should do quite well as well. So, uh, yeah. Let's hope so. Well, I'm sure you two, just as much as me and, and Calamo, who's not here as well, are really looking forward to this weekend. Like Joshua said earlier, Silverstone is always special. There's always something about that Silverstone that, that, you know, gets the blood flowing, gets the adrenaline glowing. I don't know why I said blood. I meant adrenaline. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. Uh, let's hope for some points as well for George Russell. Um Make sure you listen out on the TV. You'll hear me singing for Sebastian Vettel as well uh, while I'm there. And, and maybe even Antonio Giovinazzi, who knows? Um, but yeah, thanks very much to Josh and Callum for joining me. Another enjoyable chat. Got on a bit longer this week because there's been so much to cover. Um, been a pleasure, guys. Um, we will see you ahead of whatever the next Grand Prix is. I've ne- I never really looked past Silverstone on the calendar, so I've no idea what's coming up next. Um, but we'll definitely uh, review Silverstone, review sprint qualifying, and then preview whatever the, the next Grand Prix is. I don't know if either of you two, two know what it is. Not off the top of my head. Hungry? Hungry, maybe? Hungry, that does sound, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, hungry. So yeah, we'll review Silverstone and preview Hungry. Um, thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Callum and, and Joshua for joining me as always. Um, yeah, enjoy Silverstone. If you're going, if you're at home, whatever you're doing, enjoy it. It's going to be a fantastic weekend of racing. So yeah, thanks very much uh, for listening. Leave us a review on if you're on uh, any of the podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts or whatever. If you're on YouTube, hit the like button, uh, share us around, tell your mates, all that kind of good stuff. Um, and yeah, thanks very much for, for listening or watching. We will see you next time. Bye-bye.